Just before we, we start with a game, uh, a game of word association, I want to ask you a question. Could you put your hand up? Uh, that's good. Yeah. Could you put your hand in the air if you've ever heard of or you know the story of these two people, Shifra and Puya? So hands up if you, you know who they are and you know their story. Right. One. And the ones that are putting their hands up are going, mm, don't ask me anything about them. But yeah. Okay. Uh, well, today, as we, uh, as we begin to tell the story of someone whose birth would change the course of nations and shape the destiny of millions, I also want to tell you the story of these two unsung heroes who took a decision, took a chance, and played their part, a significant part, in changing the world, changing our world. But let's start with that game. So whenever I say a word, I want you to say the first thing that comes to mind, okay? The first thing you associate with that word. Now, don't say it out loud unless you absolutely can't restrain yourself, okay? <laughs> Just say it into yourself and then remember it, okay? So here's the word. Remember, first thing comes into mind. Here's the word. It's a name. Moses, okay? First thing. All right, now, hold that thought. And I'm going to put up a list on the screen of things I reckon you thought of, right? So, hands up, first thing you thought of was Red Sea. Okay, quite a few. Okay, down. Ten Commandments. Oh, quite a few. Good, right? Mount Sinai. Two. Basket. Oh, the most popular, right? Okay. Connected. Baby in the bulrushes. Quite a few as well. Ten plagues. Or sorry, burning bush. Burning bush. Ten plagues. Just John. John, well done, John. <laughs> Pharaoh. Oh, what does that say about Stevie and Paul? <laughs> Let my people go. Nobody. Passover. Nobody. Right, hands up. Who thought? Charlton Heston. <laughs> oh, Patrick. <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> See, the point is, uh, you're sad, Patrick. <laughs> Let's just close in prayer. The point is, uh, Moses uh, conjures up lots of, of kind of different thoughts and images and ideas and, and words. And this morning, we're starting a new uh, teaching series that's actually going to run from now right through to Christmas. Uh, about the life of Moses, one of history's most influential people. A story that right from the word go is packed with suspense and drama. A story that lots of us know, or certainly lots of us know in part. But it's also a story that includes less familiar aspects, less familiar characters like Shifra and Puya. And so I'm really looking forward to these next few months as we journey and discover more about Moses, a man on the edge. Now, let me say something about that particular title for this series, because for me, this describes where Moses often found himself, on the edge. Emotionally on the edge at times, to the point on one occasion where he lost it and killed a guy and then tried to bury the evidence. He was on the edge of being wiped out. In fact, it's a miracle he made it through the first few hours on planet Earth. 
as we're about to discover. Later on, he found himself on the edge of a huge expanse of water with nowhere to go. He was then on the edge of obscurity. He was on the edge of greatness as he faced a massive challenge, a major decision. He was on the edge of glory. (laughs) Some people thinking Lady Gaga. But maybe more importantly, and this is the key bit, he was a man on the cutting edge of what God was doing to accomplish his purposes in the world. That's where Moses was, right on the cutting edge of what God was doing. And therefore, although this is a series about Moses, it's primarily a series about God. It's a story not just about a man on the edge, but about a God at the center, right at the heart. It's really God's story, not Moses' story, that we're going to discover together. And so as we begin to read or reread it, can I invite you to engage as you come here, hopefully every Sunday morning between now and Christmas, to engage with the story, but more importantly, can I invite you to engage with the God of the story throughout the weeks in between. So let's turn to Exodus chapter 1. It's page 58. There should be Bibles in the pews. Uh, And what I'm simply going to do this morning is I'm going to walk you through this story, make a few comments. I'm going to let the story speak for itself. It would be absolutely brilliant if everybody could see a copy of Exodus chapter 1 because I'm not going to read it and I just want to make sure that you can kind of follow it and you can check out that I'm, that I'm actually sticking to the story. So page 58 in the Pew Bibles or Exodus 1 if you've got your own Bible with you. Have a look at the first five verses there. And you'll notice that actually it starts with Jacob and his 12 sons. And immediately there is this link between the end of Genesis and the start of Exodus. In Genesis chapter 50, which is the very final chapter of the first book, we read about the death of Joseph. And you'll remember he's the guy who was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. And yet through time and a chain of incredible events, he ends up as the Egyptian pharaoh's right-hand man. And he oversees a period of devastating famine in Egypt, which was a major achievement. And during that famine, he gets reunited with his brothers and his dad, who then move to Egypt so that Joseph can provide for them and protect them. And they resettle in the best postcode going. In fact, it was Pharaoh himself who welcomed Joseph's wider family with open arms. And he said this to him, the land of Egypt is at your disposal, Joseph. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Now, back to Exodus 1, because in verse 6, have a look at it, you discover time moves on, things change. Joseph is dead. His brothers are dead. Entire generation dead. But the Israelite population in Egypt has exploded. It says they were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly and then they filled the land. The census figures for this particular people group have gone through the roof. But that was a problem. They became a problem. And therefore dark clouds started to gather. And in verse 8, it reveals why. Because during their time there, pharaohs have come and gone. And there's now a new king, a new pharaoh in power 
who has no idea who Joseph is. Joseph who? No clue what Joseph had done for Egypt in the past. So those stories have been archived. They've been filed. Nobody tells those stories anymore. And so this new king decides it's time to clamp down on this growing people group. Attitudes have shifted. Suspicion has reached a tipping point. And to quote Charles Swindle, as we know all too well from our world's bloody history, mounting suspicion toward a people group is only one step from prejudice and yet another step away from persecution, but a stone's throw from genocide. And therefore, says there in chapter 1, Pharaoh decides to put the Israelites into forced labor. Slave labor begins to severely oppress them, probably in an attempt to work them to death, to reduce their numbers that way. Problem is, it doesn't work. Look at verse 12. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. This was a resilient bunch. This was a people group who weren't going to disappear easily. And so to finish verse 12, the Egyptians came to dread them. So this is getting serious. Suspicion and concern have been replaced by outright hatred. These Israelites made the Egyptians sick to the pit of their stomachs. That's what that word dread actually means there. We've passed prejudice. We're now about to enter the sickening realms of genocide, or rather infanticide. Drastic times calls for drastic measures. Pharaoh simply had to stop this multiplication. It's getting out of hand. And so he orders a couple of Hebrew midwives to keep delivering babies. Keep doing your job. But the moment you discover that the baby you've helped to bring into the world is a boy, kill him. Kill him and let the girls live. It's selective infanticide. Can you even begin to imagine how those two midwives felt as they walked away from their meeting with the most powerful man in the land who had personally commissioned them to be contract killers? Pharaoh didn't send representatives to these two Hebrew midwives. He ordered them himself. Imagine how they felt. As far as Pharaoh is concerned, it's only a matter of time now. It's only a matter of time before I get this situation under control. And yet, and I'm not sure I've really noticed this before. I'm not sure I've really got this part of the story before. But Shifra and Puya, these two Hebrew midwives, they refuse to carry out his orders. They don't kill the baby boys. And even when they're rehauled before the king to explain their actions, they lie. Or at least they certainly become economic with the truth, telling the king in verse 19, do you know something? All the pregnant Hebrew women are so, and I'm quoting, vigorous, that they keep delivering their own babies before the midwives arrive at the house and on the scene. Seriously, Nick? These two women are incredibly brave. You might want to say stupid. But I want to pay tribute to these two unsung heroes who most of us, including myself, hadn't really heard about before this morning. 
because in a courageous act of civil disobedience, they played their part in changing history. You see, as a result of their actions, Pharaoh had to change tact. And as a direct result of that, a baby boy is born who lives and eventually leads the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity and towards the promised land, towards their destiny. So why did they do it? What motivated these two women? Why are they such heroes? Now, don't get too distracted by the civil disobedience thing. Or the white lies. And I know I'm being slightly provocative. But don't forget Rahab, who hid the spies and then spun a yarn to protect them, yet appears in the Faith Hall of Fame. Don't forget Daniel, who kept praying to God despite the imposed legal decree that banned him from doing so. Don't, don't tear off on those tangents. The reason these two women are heroes is explicit from the text. Look at it in verse 17. The midwives, however, feared God and so didn't do what the king told them to do. It's not that they were afraid of God. It's not that they were scared of God. Instead, what that means is they revered God. They knew God was bigger than. They knew God was greater than. God was more worthy than any pharaoh. They lived in awe of God, and so they said no to an act of gross injustice. No. They remained faithful. They followed their heart. They followed the call of their consciences. And do you know what? God honored them. Look at verse 20, 21. God was kind to the midwives. And because they feared God, he gave them families of their own. Do you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure those two women had little or no idea that their choices, their decisions, their actions would play a key part in changing the world. They just did what they believed was right. And the ripple effect was significant. And every single day, you and I face choices. Every day. Some of those choices are small. Some of them are major. And some people here this morning are going to face major choices this week. The question is, who determines influences or impacts the choices you make who what for these women it was God God was their ultimate reference point and let's not forget that our actions and our reactions and our decisions and our choices this week will cause a ripple effect every choice we make has consequences either for good or for ill or for the health or for the damage of our world. This morning we are starting a new series about Moses, but part of his story is Shifra and Puya's story. And therefore I'd love every single one of us to leave this morning remembering their names, remember their courage, remember their fear of God, remember that these two midwives were inspired to do the right thing and they said yes to God. Yes to God's values. Yes to God's ways, even though they were being bullied into doing something different. And some of us this week will be bullied into trying to do something, say something, think something 
that we know is contrary to God's ways. The question is, will we do the right thing? Back to the story. Final verse, chapter 1. It's time for plan B. Pharaoh decides to forget the midwives' approach. He now orders all his people to throw every Hebrew baby boy into the Nile. And again, let the girls live. Now we're into chapter 2, where we meet an Israelite husband and wife. Right at the start of chapter 2, we're introduced to this Levite couple, who later on we discover are called Jochebed and Amram, proud parents of a new Hebrew baby boy. Turns out he's their third child. They already have a daughter called Miriam, another son called Aaron. Now I've got a third kid. But they know the deal. They're meant to throw him, or at least they're meant to give him up to be thrown into the Nile. And although you can't even begin to imagine any parent doing that, remember, this mum and dad have two other kids. If they don't follow through with this regarding the newborn, they might lose their entire family. Try to enter into the horror of these moments. They face a major decision. This is a big choice. This has got consequences. Mum and dad make their choice. They decide to hide the baby for three months. Now, how you hide a newborn baby, keeping quiet for three months, whenever every cry and every baby noise is being monitored is beyond me. But anyway, they do it. Hide him for three months. And then they realize they can't keep doing it. And so mum comes up with another plan and she makes a watertight basket and she places the baby in it and she strategically sets it among the reeds along the riverbank and she assigns his big sister to keep an eye on him. Some people have misread this bit. They think that they kind of set the basket in the Nile and just watched it float off into the distance. No. This mum carefully placed this basket amongst the strong, flexible reeds on the riverbank. Did she hope somebody might find him? Did she know the bathing habits of Pharaoh's daughter and wondered if the princess might spare his life if she came across him? No idea. No idea. All mum could do was place herself and her baby and her family in God's hands and at God's mercy. All she could do was trust. All she could do was hope. All she could do was have faith. And you know, we discover from the rest of Scripture that that's exactly what these parents did have. That faith. And so they appear in the Hebrews Hall of Fame. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. Another example of people who feared God over and above, who trusted God with their lives, who did what they could, did what they could with God's help. But you know, there came a point where they had to let go and let God. Again, there can maybe some people here this morning, you just got to let go of whatever it is you're hanging on to and just trust God with it. It's never easy. Where are we placing our trust this morning? In the midst of mess. In the midst of the challenges we face. Where, where are we placing our hope? 
I'm not for one moment suggesting that faith in God means everything will pan out how you want it. I'm just asking, are you prepared to look, for God, look to God and trust him no matter what? Do you know this mom had no guarantee that her son would be spared? As far as she was concerned, that was now in God's hands. And so Miriam watches. Guess what? Pharaoh's daughter appears. She spots the basket. She discovers that it contains a Hebrew baby boy crying his eyes out. And she, look at verse 6, feels sorry for him. She was meant to drown him at this point. She knew the, she knew the Pharaoh's orders. But it says she takes pity on him. Now, as far as we know, Pharaoh's daughter doesn't have a faith in God. But as someone who was made in the image of God, she expresses compassion. You see, all human beings, Christian or not, Christian or not, can show immense compassion. All human beings can do amazing things to alleviate the suffering of others. You know, I know some people who can't understand why so many people without a Christian faith can give of themselves so sacrificially to work in extreme situations to care for people they don't know. I I do understand. (laughs) Because for me, they're just reflecting and expressing something of the image of God which is stamped on every human being. We have the potential to be compassionate. Christian or not, Pharaoh's daughter had compassion. Yes, Christian, she lead the way. Pharaoh's daughter had compassion. Cue Miriam at this point. She steps into the situation and she suggests that she goes and gets a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby. I follow this is brilliant. Pharaoh's daughter likes the sound of that idea from this random girl who's just appeared out of nowhere. And so she sends Miriam to go and bring some random Hebrew woman. No chance. Miriam goes and brings Jochebed, the kid's mom. And the princess, when she meets Jochebed, says, do you know what I want you to do? I want you to nurse this baby, and guess what? I'm going to pay you for it. Paid to nurse your own kid. Where do you sign up for that, Patrick? (laughs) But you know something? It's not forever. Because whenever the child grew older, and we don't know how old he was, Jochebed takes him back to Pharaoh's daughter, where he becomes her son, and she names him Moses. And again, you can only imagine the emotions that are flying around here. Moses' natural mum must have been fallen to pieces inside as she hands her little kid over. And yet... She now knows he's going to be safe. He's going to be spared from a life of slavery and oppression. He's going to receive an education second to none. He's going to live in a beautiful environment. He's going to be well fed. He's going to be looked after. And in some ways, is not that what every parent wants for their kid, a decent future? As far as Pharaoh's daughter was concerned she would have had no idea of the emotional turmoil that this Hebrew woman was experiencing yes she knew she'd nursed the kid for a few years and she might have got attached to him 
But Pharaoh's daughter didn't realize this was this kid's natural mom who was giving him up again. The drama is incredible. But the critical issue is that Moses has arrived and survived. God's purposes are being worked out despite intense opposition. Pharaoh had done all he could to derail God's purposes. All he could. And yet he's been thwarted mainly by women and midwives. Girl power. (laughs) I believe I did that. And then, then the story goes quiet. The Bible doesn't tell us any more about Moses until he's about 40. And he heads out for a walk one day, and he dramatically loses it, but that's for next week. That's for part two of Man and the Heads. And as we leave the story this week, Moses is in a good, or at least he's in an interesting place. Thing is, his people aren't. His people are still oppressed, they're still slaves, they're still suffering, but that won't go on for much longer. The rescue plan of God is gathering momentum by the day. You see, back in Genesis 15, God said this to Abraham, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in the land that's not their own, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years, but I will judge the nation whom they serve. And afterward, they will come out, they will exodus with many possessions. That time is coming. God's promise will be fulfilled. And with the arrival and survival of Moses, the fulfillment is another step closer. You see, what God says, God does. The time scale and what we have to go through before we get there doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always appeal. But you know something? God is working out his purposes in his world. He was then and he still is now. And the question is, do we accept that or do we reject it? Do we fear God or not? Are we playing God or are we letting God be God? The choice is ours, but the stakes are high. And as we go from here this morning, Can I also encourage you to grab the example of Shifra and Puya and Jochebed and Miriam and Pharaoh's daughter and let's go and make a positive difference in our world because who knows what God has up ahead for us and who knows how God plans to use us whenever we do the right thing. May God help us.